Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Genesis 41. The last statement we had, I believe, was number 60, and it was Joseph's exaltation. It was followed by a season of plenty. That was number 60. Didn't we give you that one? Now, 61 is the... We have 65 of them, so we have 61, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So there are five more statements that we have. Let's look at Genesis 41, if you will, verses 53 and 54. Genesis 41, verse 53 and 54, it says, And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth came, began to come, rather, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. You know, the day of plenty must come to a close. And by the way, so is the day of grace going to come to a close. Now it's opportunity for salvation, but Jesus predicted a time when there would be, and the Scripture predicts a time when there will be a day of dearth, even as far as the Word of God is concerned. And we're going to look at it from that standpoint. So Joseph's exaltation was also followed by a period of famine. That's the statement we gave you just now. We're going to give you several supporting Scriptures concerning this. Jesus predicted Himself in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, uh, of a great tribulation and, and troublous times. And uh, uh, Well, I'll just turn to Matthew 24 and we'll see what some of the things He said there about a time coming when there would be tribulation. We will give you some Scriptures in connection with tribulation as far as the nation of Israel is concerned, who basically were the ones that were involved in the time of Joseph. Remember, his brethren were in great danger of uh, during this time of famine after the years of plenty. But I, I'll just read a, a verse or two. It's, it says in Genesis, I mean in Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now listen. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He says, For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, talking about lack of food, there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, and diverse places. And he says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Beginning of sorrows. The famines, and the earthquakes, and so on. And then, if you drop on down to verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, so... And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So after uh, the years of plenty, after plenty upon this earth, after days of grace, Jesus predicted there will be a time of famine and trouble and need and sorrows. And he said there will be the beginning of sorrows. So I think that passage of Scripture, and uh, you can look at all the verses you would like to in Matthew 24, for there are many. But then I want to give you some in the prophecies. Look in Amos chapter 8, if you will. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. It says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. 
So there's going to come a time, and those are two good verses, that uh, there will be a famine in the land. And Amos predicts that. And he says, not a famine of bread. We know that there will be a famine of bread, a lack of bread too, in the tribulation period because we read of that. But he's talking especially about a time when people will seek to hear the word of the Lord and there will be a famine of the word of the Lord and people will not have it given out. We ought to be thankful this day and age of grace that the word of the Lord is preached from church to church and place to place and in our nation and even around the world because we're living in a time of plenty, so to speak. But there's going to come a time that it will not be so plentiful. And I think it's becoming more scarce all the time due to the fact that you hear a lot of things preached but the Word. And so, uh, eventually it will come to the fact that, uh, you know, Paul said to Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That'd be like fairy tales, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a sad thing if you... I know we come to church to hear the Word but uh, and to fellowship with one another, and we should. We should have fellowship when we come to church, but we also ought to be able to hear something from the Bible. And wouldn't it be a sad thing if all we could go and, in, in a congregation and meet together is to hear some fairy tale or some current event? It doesn't mean we're to be blinded by current events, but it means that also we ought to come to hear the Word. Hear the word of the Lord. And I trust that's that, that that's what we do come for. So there are so many scriptures that show us this famine that we're talking about. I'll give you several of them. If you uh, would like to copy them down as we go along. Uh, Romans 11, verse 25. As far as Israel is concerned, it says this in Romans 11:25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, that lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So Israel was blinded. And uh, then let me give you some more. Uh, Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. And if you don't have time to turn to them, I'll just read them for you. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So we're talking about tribulation, trouble, famine, and problems that will arise as far as the nation is concerned. Uh, I'll give you another one or two, and then we'll let that suffice. In Revelation 3, verse 10, it says this. It says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth, all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So there's coming a time that people of this earth will be tried and tested. And a part of that will be the famine of the Word that we've already referred to. Jeremiah 8, verse 20. Jeremiah says the harvest is past. He says that uh, the summer is ended and we're not saved. Let, let me read that for you. Jeremiah chapter 8, and verse 20. It says the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. So, the, there are many that will let the day of grace and the opportunities pass and still not be saved. We're talking about being saved spiritually as well as being saved in the other uh, senses of the word, delivered from uh, famine or whatever the need may be. So it, it's all inclusive. It, it not only includes that, but you know many people, you know the Bible says, Second uh, Corinthians, I believe it's 6 verse 2, that now is, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. 
I may have gotten that right. You can check it out. Second Corinthians 6. I know it's either verse 1 or 2. I believe it's verse 2. All right, let me, let's go ahead with this. Showing you that there's opportunity for people. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Listen carefully. It says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. So there's opportunity for people, isn't there? There were, there were many opportunities for the people of the Old Testament as well as there have been for all the world during this day and age of grace wherein the gospel is freely preached, mostly among uh, the nations of the world. There are some that have closed doors, but uh, some that have had open doors in the past are closed. Some that have closed doors in the past are open. So we don't know, but uh, that's in God's hands to open those doors. So I believe we've given you enough on that one thought that there was... That Joseph's exaltation, well, no, let's see, uh, yeah, was also followed by a period of famine. Now then, number 62, number 62, and we'll read again Genesis 41, verse 55. 41, verse 55. It says, And when all the land of Egypt was famished, for the people cried unto Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh's uh, said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. Go unto Joseph. And what do we find in this one? Joseph is now seen dispensing bread to the perishing world. It was told all of the people of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. It says, Go unto Joseph. He's the one that has the bread. Is not this a picture of Christ? That he dispenses bread to a perishing world. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. You find that in John 6. I'm just quoting that verse. I don't have it on my list tonight, but I know that's one verse that will go with it. That's uh, speaking, what do you call it? Without having all the notes to follow. Anyway, we know that Acts 4 verse 12 tells us that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, He's the one that dispenses the bread of salvation to the whole world. And Joseph alone dispensed this bread. Remember, he said, Go to Joseph. 45, uh, 41 verse 55. He says, Go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. The instruction was to go to Joseph. The instruction in the New Testament is to look unto Jesus. For salvation. Because he, there's not to be found salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among me. In Acts 4.12. Whereby we must be saved. So who, who are we to turn to? It's kind of like Matthew 17. This is a good verse. Verse 5. Matthew 17 verse 5. Remember when Jesus was transfigured before the disciples? And the Bible says His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on that mount of transfiguration. And then it says in verse uh, 5, While he yet spake, this was Peter speaking, While he yet spake, Peter wanted to build a tabernacle for Moses and Elias and one for Jesus. But while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Then it goes on to say, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid and came to and Jesus came and touched them and said, and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, verse 8 is the key, 
save Jesus only. Don't look to Moses, the law. Don't look to Elijah, the prophets. Look to who? To Jesus. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. By the way, that will tie in with our lesson in in the book of uh, Revelation. And by the way, I might stop and mention that we have those charts made for everyone to look at. Sunday we'll pass them out. If we need some more, I'll get Shirley to run them off. I sneaked in there and wanted to run them off for me once. So anyway, we got some of them made. We'll talk about uh, the things we need to, but we know that Moses does represent the law and Elijah the prophets. And so on that Mount of Transfiguration we find what happened. The law and the prophets were represented, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And of the prophets. He said, I came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. And he fulfilled both. He fulfilled the law in every aspect, and he also filled all of the, the prophets, as far as prophecies concerning himself, or, well, really, basically anything. And Christ is the fulfiller of that. So, our statement was this Joseph alone dispensed the bread of life. Jesus alone dispenses the bread of life. Look in John chapter 6. We gave you this one casually a minute ago, but I think it's worth looking into because there's so many times that he says in the sixth chapter of John that he is the bread of life. And I'll begin reading with verse 33. It says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us... Uh, this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. That was a sad statement for those that would not receive Christ, didn't it? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Let's drop down to verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And uh, let's drop down to verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. So to eat of that bread, you have to do it by what? Faith. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He says, "He, he that eateth of this bread hath everlasting life. So what is it to eat of that bread? Put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's the dispenser of the bread, and He is the bread. He not only dispenses it, but He is. He says, Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. You say, well, preacher, he's, he's uh, really carrying it too far because we're all going to die. He's talking about spiritually. He's talking about giving you spiritual life, everlasting life, and you will, will not die. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. The body will die, but the soul will live forever. He says, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And we could go on and on. There are many other verses there in the book of John, the sixth chapter. But uh, in, in fact, he guarantees that those that believe on him, he will raise them up in the last day. It's like a refrain. He said, look at verse 40. It says, And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 44. 
No man cometh to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And you have that like a refrain that goes on in the book of John chapter 6. He promises not only that we'll have everlasting life, but we'll be resurrected unto that everlasting life. Back now in our lesson in the book of Genesis. Okay, 63 is Joseph alone dispensed the bread of life. So I've been dealing with that one, all these last verses that I gave you. So, there's two points there, closely akin. And let me state them again. It says, Joseph is now seen dispensing bread to a perishing world. That's Genesis 41, verse 55. Now, number 63 is similar to that. It says, Joseph alone dispensed the bread of life. So, he's the only one. Now then, 64. And we'll give you another verse. We have two more to give you. 64. And that's Genesis 41, verse 57. Look at 41, verse 57. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn, because that the famine was sore in all lands. All countries. So number 64 is Joseph became a Savior to all people. We know that Jesus was especially the Savior to His own. But the Bible says He came unto His own and his own received him not. But as many, that's all people, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So it became to all people, not just to, to Israel. Uh, remember at one time, Jesus says, I am not come, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then later on we find him, and I'll give you some scriptures for it, turning to all people, turning to the Gentiles. It's within this point that we're making here. Number 64, Joseph became a savior to all people. All people of the lands came to him. All countries came to Egypt to Joseph to buy corn because that the famine was sore in all lands. So when we think of a, a savior for the whole world, to all people... Let me give you some scriptures concerning this. I have four or five. First of all, look at two verse eleven. Uh, Luke two verse eleven. Luke two verse eleven. Remember at the birth of Christ, verse eleven says, "For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord." Verse ten says, "And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." So connect verse ten with eleven. In Luke 2. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this city of, uh, in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So it was born unto the Jews, but it was a Savior for all people. In fact, I should have included verse 10 and 11. All right, let me give you some more references. Uh, Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16. Look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And I think most of us can quote it. Most uh, people are familiar with it. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now listen. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So to Jews and Gentiles, he's the Savior of all people. Now I want to give you another one I think is rather important. Matthew 4, verse 15 and 16. Now, this is immediately after Christ was... Satan took Jesus into the wilderness, tempted Him 40 days and 40 nights. And after that, I want to read... uh, Well, let's read beginning with verse 12. Or verse 13. 
And leaving Nazareth, this is after the temptation, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim. That it, now listen, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, or Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by way of the sea, beyond Jordan. Look, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. So it says that he came immediately after his wilderness temptation to this particular area. And it said, Galilee of the Gentiles. And it says light has sprung up. The Bible tells he shall be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. So it's for all people. There are many other references we could give you. Now then, the last one of our our, uh, statements, and let's look in Genesis 41, verse 49. 41, verse 49. And this is when Joseph prepared for all this. It says, And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, keep this thought, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. It was without number. And the last point of our message is this. Joseph had illimitable resources to meet the need of all. Jesus is not short on resources. He has the resources to meet the need of all. And when we connect that with Christ's sacrifice on the cross and through His sacrificial death, He made provision for all. And there's nothing else needed to provide. He has all the resources that are needed. I'm going to give you many references concerning this. He has sufficient supply for all. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1.7, listen carefully, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. He has riches enough and grace enough for all. What? Through His redemptive blood. The blood will cover all. The blood is sufficient for the redemption of my soul and yours and yours and yours and everyone else we can point out. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's Ephesians 1, seven. Colossians 2, verse 14, uh, 1, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Just a slight difference between Ephesians 1, seven, and Colossians 2.14. And then there are so many other Scriptures that show us the resources, that they're unlimited to meet the need of all. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. God, who is rich, we're talking about riches and unlimited supply. Can anyone ever imagine the limit of God's mercies, or the limit of God's grace, or the limit, or limit to God's provision for salvation through the redemptive blood of Christ? There is no limit to it. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Fasten on that word riches. Provision, immeasurable, unlimited, supply. For in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do not we see 
an unlimitable supply of resources that are ours. Ephesians 3 verse 8, while you have Ephesians, look at 3 verse 8. Unto me, Paul is speaking of his own salvation, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles. What? Preach among the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. See, his riches are not only, uh, you cannot number, but they're, they're unsearchable. Man cannot even find them out. He man has no way of really coming to the end or conclusion that there's a limit here of his riches. Among the Gentiles even. i give you some more. Look in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. See if we can find that. Colossians chapter 2. I believe it says, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But we'll go over there and read it just so we won't make any mistake. Colossians 2 verse 9. It says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So all the fullness of God is in Christ. So this is unlimited. When anyone thinks they understand the fullness of of God's blessings and mercy and grace and love or anything. Remember, there's another scripture that says, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Know what? Know something that you cannot know. Know the love of Christ, which passeth knowing, passeth knowledge. In other words, even if we know it, we don't know it all. It's kind of like when Paul says, that I may know Him. Paul, I thought you already knew Christ. You were saved and converted on the road to Damascus. But in Philippians, he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and so on. I believe you find that in Philippians chapter 3. That I may know him. Paul, you mean you want to know Christ and be saved? No. He wanted to have the most intimate and close knowledge and fellowship that he could have, possibly have as a human being upon this earth with the Lord. And then finally to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't reached the goal yet, but I follow after that which I may uh, follow for. You know, he's talking about following after Christ. And then he says something about forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things that are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, you'll find those, I think. All right, let's go on now. I have some other references. Uh, how about uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 3? What does uh, Peter say here? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now look. Which according to His abundant mercies... Mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So notice that word abundant, mercies. And then it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Think of this for a moment. He says, God's abundant mercies... We've been begotten again into a living hope. We're born again into a lively hope. And it's on the basis of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And then he says, to an inheritance. Listen carefully. To an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled. And it fadeth not away. You say, my, what a wonderful inheritance. But he says, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved. It has your name on it. 
You have such an inheritance, but then it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen carefully. He not only has that kind of an inheritance for us, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, but He has kept us, He's going to keep us by His power. The word kept means garrisoned. Means just like you'd have an army round about you. We do have an army round about us. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember, the Bible does tell us that we have a whole army round about us. Let's see, Psalm, is it Psalm 34, verse 7? Look at Psalm 34, I believe that's the verse. In verse 7. The angel of the Lord, listen, encampeth round about. Them that fear him and delivereth them. Round about. It's kind of like old Elisha when he told the servant. He said, uh, the servant said, well, you know, what are we going to do? We're compassed about with the whole army of the Syrians. You find that Second Kings chapter 6, I believe. And he says, all the Syrians are round about us. And it says there's a multitude, a great army. And Elisha said to his uh Servant, he said, Lord, he said to God, he said, uh, open his eyes that he may see. He said to the servant, there's more with us than there are with them. And the Lord opened the eyes of that servant and he saw round about Elisha, a whole army of angelic hosts. And you'll find that it was true. The ones that were with Elisha and his servant were more than those, the host of the Syrians. But anyway, we find the angel of the Lord Encampeth round about them that fear him. Well, we've given you 65 things. And the last one was Joseph had unlimited resources to meet the need of all. And so Christ has unlimited resources. He has had during this day an age of grace. He will continue to have. And you and I should realize that we have one that we can preach and teach that has the supply of anyone's need and the salvation for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. That he is rich, both to Jews in Romans chapter 10, both to Jews and Gentiles. Let me read Romans 10, verse 12 and 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's rich unto all that call upon him. Well, I'm glad that we have that privilege. So we don't have a complicated gospel to preach. We have a simple statement that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you and I ought to make it as simple as we can. You know, it seems that this day and hour, and it has been in times past, I can remember, when so many have complicated the plan of salvation, instead of simplifying as Jesus made it simple. And I don't mean by that to, to be so broad as to say that anyone or any way that people want to be saved, they can be saved. No. I'm saying that the, the simple message is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Saved. So why should we complicate? And yet many people do. Well, they say, yes, but you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And you start adding works. You start adding 
ceremony. You start adding something else, and the first thing you know, you've added more than than uh, than a little to the gospel. And the gospel is simple. Paul said, uh, "Some would rob you of the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus." Let's see, in Corinthians. Let me see if I can find that. But there are many people that would rob you. Let's see, Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. Look, it says, But I fear. Well, let's read verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, Paul says in verse 3, Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. Now, this is a very important verse. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So if there's simplicity in Christ and in the preaching of Christ, why should we preachers complicate it? Especially for we feeble, feeble folk like myself that want to just know the, the bare facts. Never mind all the fine print. Just give us the bare facts. That tell us how we can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Someone said, well, I can't trust in just that one statement. Why not? The Bible says that, doesn't it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We're not talking about just a historical belief. We are sure it's in the context of, of spiritual that the Holy Spirit has caused you to believe and you want to believe the truth of God's Word and the person of Christ and the things about Him, and especially that He died for your sins upon the cross, which is the simple point of the Gospel.